so so we're talking about the um the the collapse of the duality of um you know in here out there so so then we we spoke about we're talking about what you know what is what is there so you know we spoke about uh rigpa or the unborn face um or you know the, the sorry the unborn or the or the original face which which i think we can call awareness and that, that all of our um sounds and and sights and smells and all of our sense data really in a way if you think about it the metaphor i like to use is where awareness is kind of like a mirror and all these uh, phenomena are reflected on it <clears throat> and that that that's what constitutes our experience so it's really what i think what they mean by enlightenment is it's resting in that awareness naturally because of it because of what we've been talking about when we rest in awareness that is quote unquote a non-dual experience it requires that the subject and object uh collapses and i, I would say that um when you sit down in meditation and you get into a very uh concentrated state uh which i you know i think they call samadhi which really just means total engrossment and and uh concentration on one one thing when, when you're in that state for long enough and then you you get the you you forget about the body first of all which is apparently what happens i guess it's kind of happened to me before but not not to the same extent that they talk about and you just become you become that that awareness that everything is reflected on in that state and and that's in in the buddhist way that's that's what they describe as an awakening experience like a proper one that's that's what they say that is um and what i would consider enlightenment to be or, or what they call um fully cooked is that you can be in that place all the time like all the time you've you've stabilized that state of mind so so for me i've got a mix of things i've got i've got a mix of a, a continuous self uh, i've got a mix of moments where i i glimpse you know something non-dual I've got a whole mishmash of different things that happen, and then in the in the med meditation itself, I I sometimes get in very deep states of concentration. Uh, sometimes for extended periods, other times I can't even count beyond one before I have to keep like I'm basically just going one 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 because everything's so chaotic. So so like I've I've tasted I think what that must be like to some degree. So, so particularly with the non-dual kind of awakening or glimpse that people talk about, and I believe that it's it's possible to have some residue, residue or a less intense version of that. But but the fully intense experiences, like the really hardcore awakenings that that people get, 
and then they tend to snap out of it fairly quickly. My, my theory is that someone like the Buddha, if you want to believe that story, was just in that all the time. He, he was, he no longer identified probably in any way with the self as we're talking about it. And he basically rested in that awareness all the time and never, never came out of it. He was just always there. That's, that's what I think it is. So he was fully cooked. And, and you think about um, <clears throat> um, Tibetan practitioners, particularly, so I, I studied uh, Zogchen for a while, which is, it takes the opposite approach. So a lot of these meditation styles, they like, they sit you down, and then you, you're, you're in here and you're concentrating. And say, if you're counting, like that's what I promote, or you, you're doing concentrating on something else, whatever it is, like the Maha Satipatthana uh, uh, and the Pasana, they concentrate on sensations. So you instantly have a subject object thing going on. But in Zogchen, they do the opposite thing. So they have pointing instructions. And then they, they try to induce the awakening experience. So then you understand what non-duality is. But then you have to go, go for 30 or 40 years meditating normally to stabilize it. They, they say what is called stabilizing the non-duality. So it's funny that these traditions have kind of approached it kind of back to front <laughs> or, or they did compared to the normal traditional styles of meditation. That's, that sounds similar to but, some of the Vedanta, like, you know, the, <clears throat> you say like it's abiding non-dual awareness. So you can have like the glimpse yeah. of non-dual yeah, awareness, yeah. but that's, you've Which had is it what all. we all have. I think that's what we've had. That's what I've had. I wouldn't call it much else in a glimpse. I've had, you know, periods where it's been like that for a while. And I'd say it's, it's changed the way I see things like it has at some point all these this, other effects but at some yeah. point for you then the general structure of how you view I it and the subject object and all that stuff the axle has there like there has there been a point where the the structure changed in some way it may not have been a huge like big drastic event but it, but it definitely changed in some way and then remained changed oh for sure yeah, yeah. so like yeah that, it, it did so that I've had, I've had various gradients of that, but there was like two big ones of those. There was like the flip, uh, which was associated with loads of like crazy experiences at the same time, which I'd had all the energetic and Kundalini stuff not for years before this. So I'm not confusing the two things. That was, that stuff was good on and it was still just me, normal me, normal me having weird experiences, peak experiences. Then I had the, um, it flipped. There was all this crazy stuff going on for about two years energetic and mystical visions and all stuff like that along along with the as it was kind of deepening or maturing and then that all kind of dropped away and it just became clean and then i had another one that just flipped again but it was just more of the same it was like even less of me on the inside and more just out you know the sensations are more happening where they are so like i'm looking at a window just now the window's there it's not me in here looking at the window. It's hard to say. It's not the same thing anymore. Um, it wasn't like that before. That, that has maintained for a long time. Uh, for the first couple of weeks after it happened, I was worried about losing, losing the flip. I was worried about flipping back. So I was like, I was scared to think about things. I was scared to think about me on the inside in case I flipped back in because I've much preferred it to be outside. 
uh, it's like a spatial thing for me. It's hard to explain. Um, and uh, uh, I didn't. I played a sort of get then I realized it wasn't flipping back and then I was playing a game of try to hold the get the old me of the the little tight me inside my head. Ah yeah, I'm in here. I tried to get him back as a joke and then I tried to hold on to it and then it just disappears. So like it's I have to actively do that now. Whereas before it, that's what was happening reactively by itself. Uh so that structure just changed flipped and changed, never went back. Um and then last few years it's been kind of the the second one is just kind of a deepening. It hasn't really there hasn't been like a big kind of big shift it's just kind of more deepened and um yeah. slightly better intellectual understanding conceptually of what's going on but uh, it i wouldn't say and it's hard to remember what it was like before but it's it doesn't feel like a completed point definitely not but it also is definitely not a beginning point it it's was. like a yeah yeah for sure. it's like yeah. an intermediate let's say but i don't know where the fuck in the middle is doesn't really matter. It doesn't bother me. It, for a while, it did. No. I was like, well, like, "What am I going to do? This is like I should do something." Like you're trying to do something, but that's the old you, the old fake self, thinking it has to do something. You don't have to do anything. Yeah. It's just no, like you're not. It doesn't like, matter. You're going to do what you're going to do, and it, but it's a different you doing it, uh, yeah. or it's a different um, uh, field of awareness, or, or however you describe it. Uh, yeah. And um, but yeah, I've heard of some people saying they had like really massive events when it happened. The first one for me, I didn't even. I had like the I've told on the one of our first podcasts about the white light, the like the vision of the white light and then disappearing into the light and then reappearing. Uh, to me, I just thought that was like a mystical, weird experience thing. It was only over that year I realized, oh, actually, sounds totally different about my structure of awareness. It just never went back. Uh, but there was lots of other crazy things going on in my life. My life was just a total shambles around then. Um, you know, it's not like, this is not like do things to make yourself feel good, this stuff. You know, you can really like mess up your life, mess up your life in a normal sense while you're working on this stuff. And now, now it's like more, way more normal and better. And I'd never, ever take that. I would never choose to take all that back with no amount of money or lifestyle, you know. Um, this is just better. I would rather be uh, sitting on a beach, staring at the sea with no money, than uh, the uh, the opposite, you know, having all the money and bit, bit being a little reactive self, and you never want to go back to that. Yeah, no, totally. Um, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah. When when you think about like people, people will be like, "Oh, the Rothschilds are fucking in control." Like Bill Gates is he's in control. Like fuck, man. <laughs> you know i don't know bill gates maybe he meditates too but i i don't think he does from what i know and he he's just as much of a victim as of this as anyone else yeah. all these people are victims joe biden's a victim fucking everyone is a victim they're just they're just doing what they're, they're fucking designed to do and and i agree i wouldn't take it back for anything because i remember what it was like to be that way it was fucking shit <laughs> absolutely shit i'd rather face a wall for 10 hours a day for a week and fucking go back to that i mean to give um, someone like a, a like an example of how, how your life is more pleasure pleasurable or just enjoyable without doing anything about it is that i used to really if something bothered me or upset me i would stew on it for ages you know i would like stew mm. on the bad feelings for like a couple of weeks then it would explode you know uh and obviously i would 
have been so far away now from the original feelings and the the, the drama that uh, I was uh, thought it was other. You know, you have justifications why you're annoyed now. You know, because you don't want to. Move. It's not the thing from two weeks ago. Um, so I used to be like that, and then when after doing this the um, meditation and various other stuff is whenever I had a bad feeling, it's, they still appear. It's not like this fantasy where you're oh you. You do meditation, you become enlightened, and you have no bad negative yeah, feelings. Yeah. You don't have <clears throat> as many negative feelings, but you, they, um, they appear and then they just go away of their own accord. They just like rise and fall themselves, like everything else. They don't like yeah, uh, you don't, don't react around. to them, right? Yeah, because you're not. Yeah. I, that's they don't stick around because yeah. what they used to stick around because you were doing this whole set of little quick reactions that kept them there and mm. grew them and. and it doesn't happen now. They just appear. Of course, they're going to appear because it's the structure of the human brain. Situations happen. The trigger is going to happen. And some of them are useful. Some of them are enjoyable. Some of them aren't. doesn't matter. They just appear and go away. And you don't make a big deal about them. And they, they just literally just fall away. And that was like for a while I was playing the game of trying to hold a negative feeling. And it would just try to hold on. And it get like three or four seconds. And it would just drop away. It was like it's it's a way. It really felt like in a... In a you try to hold something on in a fast flowing river and it just gets thrown away. It just, uh, you're holding on to it for a few seconds and you, you just have to let it go and it's, it's off, you know? Um, yeah. I really like that, that flow, that metaphor of like a flowing river really, really made sense to me in terms of the holding on to the emotion. So but what people are doing with reactions is they're like really tensing up and holding on to this thing. And then you realize one day, this is just a piece of fucking rubbish. Let it go. Yeah. 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 Why are you yeah, holding on to it? It's not, it's not, it's, it's, not not a, it it's not a dinghy to say, it's not a life fucking, uh, it's not a life, what's, what do you call those rings? Yeah. You're, the, you're the surfer, you know, those fucking things they throw in the water when people drown you. <laughs> right, it's not, got the, yeah. well, it's not one of them. I take, I take that out with me when I go there. Yeah. <laughs> you mean so like I just a, had a, a reaction just now. My reaction just now was an image of David Hasselhoff. So that just like happened. <laughs> yeah, I, it just happened yeah, to me. I, I didn't, I it didn't yeah. just appear. I didn't just make no, that. I'm, more like, just I'm too. more like David Hasselhoff when he was drunk eating a hamburger at his front door that time. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that okay. video. I saw yeah. that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree with all of that. Um, and, and, yeah, it's not, for me anyway, it's not perfect. So I, I still have my moments. Um, I, you know, I, it, it's hard. It's not easy um, to maintain this stuff. You know, it's it's difficult, particularly. Yeah, you don't become this perfect model, well-behaved being. I mean, no, that, I mean, you could no, ask no. my 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 lady, and she would just you know, <laughs> just say, "This is just he's talking shit. He's a total retard." <laughs> um, you know, like so, like you're still like that kind of thing is going on. Um, yeah. I mean, people will people will notice you a bit different, or you're, they'll think maybe say things like you're more chilled out, or you're not as you know, as many temper tantrums, or whatever your thing is. Or, or they yeah. maybe notice that you don't drink as much as you used to, or whatever it is. Even that doesn't mean anything. You can still drink. It's like, you know, for, uh, you know, an enlightened person doesn't drink alcohol. Yeah, right. Um, it's just like just the people have, or doesn't eat uh, doesn't eat meat. And all these fantasies yeah, that people have about what the Buddha means. the Buddha ate meat. He ate. Oh, yeah, he ate exactly. Meat. It's so yeah. like the whole religion grew up after this guy who had some techniques that were interesting and uh, yeah. uh, transcended the human animal condition, humanimal condition that mm. everyone else is in. I mean, I read somewhere that you, you would know more, but that he'd, he was doing the old, the, the other kind of um, 
meditations and stuff that were around at the time. So he was like a master of those ones, but where you were just getting in trance state, bliss state. And he was still just noticed. It was still just him. I don't know what the wording is, but the basic idea is nothing's really changing. You're just bliss states. So then he was looking at the impermanence of the bliss state and then the, looking at the impermanence of the bliss state made him realize made, was the how he got became enlightened under the tree or something like this um yeah I, you know i've been thinking about this actually yeah i have i've got thoughts but, on it but like um, that's where everybody's caught up they chase the bliss states. Yeah, it's like a drug you know they're like they get into these things for the bliss states they can spend decades sitting feeling great getting into the state and all that but it's just they're just they haven't changed the structure of of the subject object thing or anything like that and it's just, no. just an addiction no, it's it's just thing. addicted yeah it is it's just like drug chasing drugs i mean i um i was like totally addicted to like kundalini type experiences like the energetic experiences for a few years i was just chasing those all the time and then i, was, I realized that it was just a um uh trap it's like a it's the side effect of the real change so like you're <clears> doing the work in <throat> the meditation work and stuff like that and things are changing. You might, some people, not everyone, but has the energetic experiences with it. And if you, they, they're a side effect of doing the work and changing the structure of your consciousness. But then you you get, you're the human who wants the good feelings and you chase after more of those experiences thinking the experience is the is the goal. But it isn't. It's, uh, you go off on a tangent then. Uh, you can do that for years. Some people do it their whole life. Uh, but it yeah. really is, functionally, it's no different from, um, uh, addicted to food or addicted to drugs or you're just chasing a high literally just chasing yeah. a high yeah and this or, is why a lot even, of the teachers say not to ignore it all i mean the zen guys are good at that you just ignore everything just scrap and sit yeah, yeah. crack over the head yeah so like, that's what they're they're stopping yeah. those they're stopping those people uh i mean when westerners go over in there they must roll their eyes i suppose it because they're like evan's chasing the big dream some big yeah. thing and they're like <laughs> crack um which is makes sense you know for for certain people i don't know what it was like in the, the around the buddhist time though yeah i think they were more hardcore um probably like he so, so the way the way i look at him is so yeah you're right he he did do that kind of thing but also what he probably did more of with a self-denial exercises so the ones where you basically starve yourself almost to death and you know, try to meditate on nothingness, you know, so everything was black and that, that kind of strain of annihilationism, it was called. So I, I think <clears throat> that basically what he realized was, as you say, um, those, those things of self-denial and they are in and of themselves driven by I'm just trying to think of the best way to say this. Driven by uh, a reactivity, a reactivity to life, a larger scale reactivity, but a reactivity of hatred of life and therefore self-denial and just trying to, trying to get out, trying to react to get out of it. Um, and I think that that's why he developed the middle way, the middle way which was not complete self-denial, wasn't anything except just a calm, abiding acknowledgement of reaction, which as far as I know, although you don't know where the Buddha got it from, maybe he grifted off someone else, I mean, it's possible, um, that 
that, you know, he's like, that doesn't work. The bliss thing doesn't work because they're both driven by desires, like a desire to escape or a desire for pleasure, whatever it is. And that those things are driven by a kind of reactivity or, or a dis ease with, with life as it is. And, 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 kind of the middle way so the way of calm abiding or or seated meditation eating enough food drinking enough water not starving yourself is is kind of like in between those two things or or would have been at the time um so so that that's my take on it but no no um i i forget what i was gonna say next anyway so yeah continue yeah for a while, I thought I was. I used to wonder if you know the kind of desire for transcendence is just another reaction. You know, your escapism, basically. So, like, you're not happy with life. Yeah. So, you're, so for like a lot of people, are you know, it's like you get into mysticism or whatever because you're just trying to escape the real life. But hundred percent, hundred percent. But there's also yeah. another. There's like a that's the kind of you're kind of being pushed to it. It's like another reaction. But there's also like a or maybe it develops later, I don't know, that you, the desire for transcendence is more like a being, a, you're pulled towards it. It's more like you're being pulled, I mean, an analogy here, you're being pulled from the future rather than where reactions are being like pushed from behind from the past. You know, reactions are just pushing you in certain ways mechanically or, um, you know, deterministically. Uh, whereas this sort of general uh, desire for transcendence, but I mean, originally I think it's much more, you're just wanting to, you're just unhappy with things and you want to get away from it. I think that's the kind yeah. of basic dirty, you know, the, the, the dirty truth of it. And then you, with, by doing practices and, you know, you start to make some kind of progress, whatever that means, uh, you, it becomes kind of cleaner and more pure and it's more like you're being pulled towards that now. But I think it probably has to start in the filth. You have to like, want to get out of the filth or you just wouldn't yeah. do anything. Why would you do any of these practices if you're happy? Why? I mean, the Buddha yeah. was clearly unhappy with this. He had everything, you know, there's the prince and yeah. power and all that stuff. And, um, he, that was, even that was not enough. So yeah. it's, uh, in one sense, there must be some kind of human, uh, function for this desire for transcendence, but also yeah. it could just be a brain uh, mutation accident uh could the whole thing could just be say, a, yeah, a pleasant just... error <laughs> who knows <laughs> could be what the wild card the evolutionary wild card and if you think about what what these technologies have led to who knows they might come in handy for survival one day i think they do i think they're developing for a reason um i you know nothing lasts unless is unless it works right in some way so yeah i'm you know in some general sense and i will always say that i'm black pill but i am actually long 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 term fairly white pilled about things and i think these technologies are a, a representation of, of something happening on, on some level but yeah he he uh he, he was definitely unhappy and i, I think that yeah there's a, there's a degree of mutation maybe or <clears throat> maybe a better way to put it is a special kind of sensitivity or a special kind of intelligence 
that, that leads you to go, there's something not quite right. Like it's, it just doesn't feel right. Like it feels dreamlike or, you know, and you, you notice <clears throat> something like that. And that's maybe it's, it's that feature. Although sometimes, as you say, it's not some, some people are just trying to escape. That's where you get most spiritual types and people in the occult who go from system to system because, you know, they're not really interested in what's happening. They're more interested in, you know, <clears throat> the special words and exotic concepts and differentiating themselves uh, in some special way. I, I just wanted to say, because I'm kind of losing my voice, but what, what I wanted to talk about quickly was pleasure. So, so, and maybe we can actually talk about some physiological things that happened to me during this as well, which I think will be interesting to people just quickly. And then we, and then we have some questions uh, which are related to this um, that we can go through quickly too. So, so the first thing was you were talking about pleasure, how you have to ignore pleasure. So, so on about day three, um, I like, you know, I can't describe to people how weird meditation is like these things. It's, it's really strange. Like you, you look at Buddhism and like, Oh, I just want to meditate and feel a bit peaceful, but it takes on like psychedelic proportions. Like it gets fucking strange. And, um, it was probably maybe fairly early in the morning and I, I had been doing some breathing work on the side. So you don't get to sleep much. You get about five hours sleep. You wake up at four 30, you do two 45 minute sessions. Um, you do, I, I did some yoga after that. Then you have breakfast, clean up, you do another four sessions, 40, four 45 minute blocks with uh, 15 minutes of walking meditation, separating them. And then you do uh, another four in the afternoon, separated with walking meditations, um, and then two at nighttime. So effectively, you're doing, you know, ten hours or more uh, every every night. You finish it about ten o'clock, and then um, basically you do some breathing, go to sleep, get up at four thirty in the morning, and it all starts all over again. And you know that's conducive to putting you in some fucking very odd. Uh, states of mind and uh <clears throat> probably on, a, on about that it would have been day three yeah day three in the morning i i did the first meditation which was very difficult and then the second meditation uh i don't know what happened but something switched in my head and, and i i got in i guess what you describe as a bliss i fucking hate that fucking word but but, but something like, you know, it felt really fucking good. And um, everything was pretty amazing. And this feeling was just welling up. Like it was quite powerful. Um, even to the point where I was doing the walking meditation and it felt like I was in one place and the world was moving and just weird perceptual shifts like this were happening. And the whole, it felt so fucking good. So I, I'm sitting there and I know intellectually that I meant it. It's like, just ignore it. Just ignore it. Just continue with the counting. Continue with the counting. Everything is good. So I've got this thing in my mind where I'm trying to focus on, on my method. But at the same time, this feeling is just fucking overwhelming. And you just want to give into it. You just want it to keep going and you want to just give into it. And yeah, you know, 
anxiety and fear and all these things are one thing, but they're actually relatively easy to try and ignore because they feel like shit. So you don't really want to fucking hang on to them. But when you have something pleasurable, it, it is the most challenging to, to be equ uh, equanimous in the face of something pleasurable. It's really difficult. Um, but yeah, eventually, of course, like all things, it went away. And you're left there going, fuck, that was good. You know, I like that. <laughs> I wanted to come back, man. I, I like that. But um, yeah, I, ju I just thought I'd mention that because, uh, you know, funnily enough, that did happen to me. Um, another thing um, that happened to me was something to do with the, the harder breathing that I talk about, which, which I've been practicing for a long time, including lots of like ancient special exercises that I've been uh, doing and testing out uh, for, for a little while now. And, and I had this experience that I've never had um, <clears throat> as long as I've been doing this work. Um, obviously, breathing into the belly is an important part of sitting meditation. So not deliberately, you want it, you want it to happen, but you don't force it to happen. And I was sitting there and um, it was at night time. And you know how you do the gag reflex the, in the Hyatt work to try and loosen up, <clears throat> loosen up tension in that region? Mm -hmm. Well, um, what, what happened was just out of, out of the very bottom, so just above my pelvis, I think that's probably where it originated from, there was this, this wave, kind of wave, like a, I don't know how you describe, like a physical muscular wave feeling, a bit like a, like literally like a wave going over the ocean surface, and it just slowly went up. And it was, it was very similar to the gag reflex, like the actual reflex action. But the rest of my body was completely still. And it, and it went all the way up quite slowly. So it wasn't fast. Uh, very, very methodically and very stable. Didn't go up, down or jabber. It was just, it went up, 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 all the way up into my throat. And then um, it kind of finished, I guess, un under the, underneath my chin. And, and what happened was my, I don't fucking describe this, it sounds mental, but my rib cage like just got depressed or pushed down. And bear in mind, I'm sitting up straight. So I didn't slouch down. I was, I was up straight. And there was this pressure in my belly. It just pushed my belly out. And my, the bottoms of my rib cage, which have a tendency to flare out, um, just collapsed and they collapsed below. It was almost like the diaphragm had shifted up and the rib cage went underneath or something like that. That's the best way I can describe it. And my belly before was, it was quite relaxed, fairly relaxed. But what had happened was it had just expanded and it stayed there. And it was, everything was happening automatic. I wasn't trying to breathe into it it was just it just happened and my belly stayed distended it stayed out there was no me holding it out it just stayed out and the 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 low abdominal breathing was going right down automatically but 
the abdominal wall was staying distended. It was just staying out. And I could just feel the breath being sucked right down. This is all automatically. And the belly stayed out. There was like this constant pressure. And I, I remember when I was researching that short book that I did, um, there was um, this case study of a Japanese flute player. And uh, he, uh, what, what they say is when they play the flute, the best way you can be is to have your belly distended without forcing it and breathing into the gut uh, rhythmically, slowly. And that's how they play with a, a distended belly breathing into the abdominal muscles. They do that with archery. They do that with all these different things. And it's something that at least traditionally these people learn what to do in Japan. And I was like, after all this time, I finally fucking understand what Hada belly it actually is, actually is. So not just breathing in there, but there was a structural shift in the way that my abdominals were interacting with my diaphragm and my rib cage. The rib cage was completely without motion. It just sat there. I wasn't forcing it to do that either. None of this was forced. It just kind of happened. And, and I was like that basically for a few days, you know, after I got home, it was still like that. It kind of still is now, but it's, it feels like it's a little bit different, um, which, was, which was crazy. And, and during it, so, so it had been like this and it stayed like that for the rest of the, um, rest of the, the uh, retreat. What happens is when you're like that, you can feel the heartbeat with these big, deep, slow abdominal breaths and um, the belly sticking out like that with pressure, not pressure you're putting on, but just, it's just out. And you can feel your heartbeat in your abdominal region stronger than you can feel the heart in your chest. So it just feels like do-dum, do-dum, do-dum. And you can just feel it, like your belly gets warm and it feels like there's just blood in there and you can feel the, the heartbeat. And it reminded me of the book that first kind of got me interested, which is uh, the title of the book is Hara, the Abdominal Heart. And after all these years of looking into it, I think I finally fucking figured out what they're talking about. Oh, nice. So that happened, that happened during meditation as well. So that, that was a revelation because now I'm like, fuck, now I, I finally fucking understand what they're talking about. So they'd actually named the book. Flute players. It wasn't yeah, like a fancy name. It wasn't like a fancy Western modern name for a book. It doesn't really mean yeah. anything. They were actually just describing yeah. the empirical describing. experience of the result Abdominal of that system. Heart. Yeah. It just, that's what it Very was. Nice. And it was such a, such a comforting, warming, relaxing feeling. It really was was impeccable. It was an impeccable state to be in. So it's not just so you go into the situation where the breathing happened, and then you recognised, oh, this is what they're talking about. But also because yeah. you were doing the meditation and fighting against your reactivity or working against your reactivity, uh, that kind of creates created space for you in order to be able to. To be in this situation where you that, not only for that to happen physiologically, but for you to be able to recognize it, yeah, you know, to, it, yeah, it kind of made, so, yeah. made space for it. Because if you weren't on the retreat and doing that, then you you may not have been clear, like a clear enough observer to 
to see what was happening and to recognize it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, yeah, and also, it's and at the same time, it's conceptual as well. Because really you really need a, a lot of time, you know? It's like a, it's a very psychophysical experience because you're not just the, phys there's the physiology, there's the, the quote, physical mechanics of the, the body parts working in a different way. There's your, you know, your, your feeling of it, the experience of it. There's your conceptual understanding, your conceptual aha moment. Oh, that's this thing they're talking about. That's, you know, fitting all those things together. There's a whole like out of awareness constellation of things has just refigured themselves and transformed and transcended itself into like a new understanding and a new experience at the same time and yeah. all of that is would must have been growing and building and developing under the surface for a while and then you had to go through all the suffering of the pain and the the discomfort and all those things and then the bliss and then pain and then missing the bliss and overcoming things in order to set the scene for that to happen you know you can't just you can't just sit down and, you know, you did sit down. You can't just uh, decide for these <laughs> things to happen. You have to actually have done the practice. And it's like you're, you don't make it happen. You just, what you can make happen is you can make yourself create the conditions for, for which things like this can happen in, uh, you know, but you don't know in advance. You know, you can, if you try and, usually if you try and have an idea of what it's going to be like, the success, the goal at the end, you'll fuck it up or you'll prevent yourself getting the goals. You have to find some way to be right. open-ended while yeah. <laughs> it's tricky. You have yeah, to have as, some as, kind um, of goal in mind or you won't do it. You know, there has to be something driving you to do it, but also if you're too specific, you'll, you'll, um, you can't, you, you block it off. You block off the thing happening. And usually the big ahas and the transcending, well, always a trans a moment of transcendence is always different than you expect by definition. It can't, it can't be what you expected or it's not transcendent. You know, you, you, mm. you, because you've imagined it in advance. You, if you imagine it in advance, it's from old experiences. Can't be the new thing. Yeah. It has to be different <laughs> in some way. And uh, all the main events yeah. that's ever happened to me have been like that, where you're like, holy shit, yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, a surprise. You know, um, an aha moment. The, the, sorry, you're cutting out there. You there? Hello? Uh, yeah, I'm just saying that all the things, the big events that have happened to me, all of them, uh, it was a, uh, there was like an aha moment, you know, it was like a, um, a, sh a shock or a surprise or something. It wasn't like something I was expecting. And it's always better than the thing yeah. you, than the best thing you had in mind. It's always better. Uh, well, usually. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, you, you know, it was, yeah, different. But what they, you know, what they always t tell you in Zen, what my, my master, Zen master tells me is the best advice you can give anyone is just stick to the method and nothing else. That's really hard, <clears throat> but it's the same thing with, with the body work, you know, I, the posture work as well. You, you want to fantasize, you want to do all these things. You want to think about something else. You want to think about what it's going to be like, but, but all you need to do, uh, and particularly with Zen is probably, you know, quite an extreme distillation of this view is just stick to the method. Like no matter what happens, yeah, because like in Zen, they, they really strip away all the fluff and all that, and it's all just like down yeah. to the basic method, oh. and it's ignored all that weird yeah. shit, and you know, like kind of laugh at it or whatever. And um, uh, that seems like, uh, you know, on the surface, that's totally opposite to some. There'll be some other tradition where there's like 
hundreds of concepts and there's all these beings and you interact in this way and there's all these rituals you do and there's like loads of word loads, you know there's like tons and tons of colors and fireworks and all these things to do the sound it seems like they're complete opposites but actually sometimes some of them are for different types of people so like the zen is you they strip it down and force you to ignore all the other stuff ignore all the fluff and stick to the method Whereas the other one with all the bells and whistles, sometimes literally bells and whistles, um, is uh, uh, it uh, distracts all that shit for the. It takes up all that person, the person who has all the needs for all that stuff. They they need the fluff, they need the the symbols and all that stuff to, and it kind of it's all presented to them there to just to um, use up all to to to. Uh, distract all the parts of them or to keep the parts busy where it is in that way it can create a space for the the awakening or the the new consciousness to sort of appear mm. uh and they're like kind yeah, of disciplining I'm... those things and it's harder to do i mean uh, like it doesn't appeal to me that stuff but for some people they kind of need it yeah yeah i'm less i i used to be you know i used to maybe think that way but i'm less inclined now i like i put it this way for for most of us so i'm considering us you know you know white dudes pretty much i don't think anyone else listens to this so so if you if you if you're not like a tibetan or a, you know whatever i i really believe the, the simplicity of this the the uh the really confrontational, efficient nature is very beneficial because I think with the more exotic things, there's a very real possibility that you can end up wasting years and years hypnotizing yourself and not really just getting to the crux of the matter. I feel like the, the Zen tradition, um, at least the Soto Zen tradition, and there are some other uh, traditions that do lack that that sort of thing. They've just gotten to the point. They've gone, yeah. Look, all the other stuff it looks fluffy or whatever, but it's a load of shit. If if you wanna if you wanna learn about this, you've just got to sit down and face it. I, I feel like the fluff is a way of getting out of it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the way sense? people. It's definitely the way people yeah. use it, and I don't I don't think it's right for guys like us. No, and uh, no, there's like an element of even, their. Like the teachers and the, the traditions and other, there's an element of they're just trying to keep people busy so they to avoid the distractions <laughs> and stuff. So be. the Zen is just sit down, stick over the head, whatever. Uh, yeah. That's keeping you busy, quote. Um, whereas the other ones are giving all this stuff and they're like kind of they, they keeps the, gives the person what they think they're after and then they kind of sneak in the other stuff or whatever. But yeah, people are so distracted and have so many concepts and things going around now. Another bunch of them from a different culture is not useful yeah. to most people. Yeah. And, and as I was saying in that article, that is distraction. So going around from systems and having all this different shit, yeah. like that is the problem in the world right now. That that's is too much fucking information. And it's it's the same with spiritual systems. Um whereas Zen, at least in its essence, I mean they do have some schools have more flowery fucking shit. But it's like, yeah, just fucking sit down. Fucking stay still. An abdominal breathe and that's all you do you don't do anything else and, and i 
I just can't see what else there is to do. When I, when I think about like, yeah, okay, maybe you can meditate on a Tibetan deity or, you know, but you, you're still doing that. You're still doing the same thing. You're still just meditating on an object. <clears throat> and that could be a deity or it could just be counting numbers. There's no well, difference. I mean, I, I see how so some you might as well just throw it away and count. You know what I, I mean? See how some of the techniques could, I see how some of them could take a person closer to like um, overcoming the, the false self, you know, the, the no self. Like, for example, I think in the Tibetan one, they have, you know, you meditate on a deity image or whatever, and then you uh, become that, you identify with that for a while or whatever, and then you you overcome that identification. So you're kind of training yourself to stop identifying with these. You like kind of get away from your, it's like a trick to get away from your current identifying with your false self. So you identify with this deity or image of a deity or however you want to think of it. And then you let go of that one. So then by doing this over a period of time, you're easier to let go of your own one. I think for maybe originally <laughs> there were tricks like this. Uh, uh, but the problem is, especially with a Westerner, people just go and find the one that they like, you know, and the one that you like might be the, yeah, yeah. by far the one you don't need, by far the one you need least because you like the one that's closest to how you already are, you know, that yeah. makes you happy, that gives you the thrills, makes you feel superior, makes you feel part of a club, um, you know, whatever Those it is. Those pictures are cool too. The deity pictures are cool. So you're like, wow. There's that too. <laughs> Look yeah. at that. I mean, even that's if, awesome. <laughs> you look at the medieval Christian tradition, they did the same thing. They, yeah. um, yeah, they, they, the serious ones, the monks, they just like, they get away from all the crazy, you know, they like, they just, they keep them busy. They're, you know, they're singing psalms for hours every day. And then the rest of them, they're silent and they're doing their contemplations, whatever. Like it's, it's, uh, it's all just tricks for, uh, putting you into, getting you away from your old reactions and creating a space for the new um, awareness to build up or to unfold or to however develop however you want to say it was there was um, probably an element as well just with it there's a cultural element so probably when they were bringing and it sounds like i'm being mean to the tibetans but i i love tibet i've been there before i like tibetan people but that it, it kind of sounds as if it's like we're going to bring buddhism into tibet they've got an animist you know shaman shamanistic religion so so what's the best way we can package up this essential teaching for this culture of people. So let's take some of their deities and various other things and let's let's synthesize a Buddhist system that that has what we're trying to get at, but also respects their native nativist inclinations and their cultural habits or various other things. But then I, I think you know, that's cool for Tibetans. That's cool for Tibetans. I don't know and again, I'm generalizing because not all Tibetan schools are like that at all. The tantric ones are, Zogchen's not like that. Mahamudra's not like that. Uh, there, there are schools in Tibet that are purely philosophical. So, so I'm not being mean to Tibetans. I'm just choosing theirs because some elements are very exotic. But I, I think that at least for Zen, Zen is just, it's like Buddhism for export to the West. It's perfect. Like it's perfect. It's, it's got none of that uh, baggage or exotic hang up. And it's very easy to be analytical with it, which suits our minds. We, we have minds like that. We can't help it. And yeah, it's just stripped down. It's like, this, you know, like you don't need anything. You just have to sit there, shut the fuck up. 
That's it. And I just think it's so elegant. You know, I love it. And I, I, I guess you could, you could say the same for some elements of um, Vipassana as well, but, it, but even it's a bit autistic. I, I was reading a... Uh, yeah, Vipassana, Vipassana attracts the Western uh, autist for definite, you know, the tech, techno, yeah. <laughs> techno utopian the levels, types. All those ones levels love it, you know? of achievement and shit. Yeah, so yeah, we're going to talk yeah. about that. So let's do the question. Gamification of gamification of enlightenment. That's what it is. Um, yeah. What they call the, the the maps? The I forget what they call it. You know, the stages of insight and that, that yeah, kind of thing. You stages, know? yeah. Janus. Uh, which is Janus. Yeah, but there's also the the insight stages. You know, the um, uh, uh, they call they, yeah, I think some of them so, call those genres as well, don't they? There's like other type of genres. Yeah, yeah. Fucking confusing. Um, but yeah, they. That so you got genres. So you got. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. The systematizer, the left brain yeah, systematizer. The, the guys who, yeah, they think. Um, <laughs> they, they think like a video game. They could it's figure like. it out. Yeah. yeah, they think it's figure outable uh, in a way that it isn't. Yeah. Um, but they do uh clarify and pull out some good stuff for techniques and stuff for for oh for um, sure for yeah. for for less and, uh, and just to say we're generalizing people. here are we like we're not like having a go it's just a very general criticism or whatever i'm sure within these schools they're not all like that um <clears throat> so we'll just go in the question because that's what the question's about um funnily enough so where are we let me just find it. So, so this is from uh, our Kiwi friend Munro online, man. So he had a, a couple of questions. Hey, let's have a look here, bro. Cuz, <laughs> hey, hey, bro. <laughs> Sorry, Munro. I, I think Munro thinks I'm always mean to him, which is kind of true. But I don't mean it. I only do it because I like him. He's he's a Kiwi. What does he fucking expect? Be nice to him. Okay. Um, all right, here we go. So this ties into what you were saying. Can you uh, both please share your thoughts on the jhanas? Uh, maybe share some personal experiences when entering into uh, any of these states. So uh, let's go through the jhanas just, just quickly. Um, because you, I mean, off the top of your head, you probably don't know. And I didn't know off the top of my head either. So I just downloaded them quickly. So, so um, you have jhanas. So there's four of them. From what I can see here, and and it's complicated, so I'm not going to go into every single element. But each jhana has uh, hindrances that are effectively abandoned, and then something you acquire. So yeah, it is like a fucking it's like playing Zelda or something like that. But the the first jhana is um, basically you lose sloth and torpor, you lose doubt. Uh, you lose ill will and aversion, restlessness, greed, and sensual desire. And the things that you pick up are applied thought, sustained thought, rapture, happiness, one-pointedness of mind, which is, I guess, um, what I was talking about in, in terms of um, samadhi. So, huh, what are they talking, uh, uh, is this, because like I've heard genres used in different ways, and 
Yeah. And it just in general, people are always confusing together the states and experiences that you can get into with separate stages of development in terms of the yeah. um, awakening enlightenment. So this, which one are they talking about here? It sounds like it's not, they're not talking about states or um, experiences. It sounds like they're talking about actual changes in the person's awareness. Is that what they mean? Or are they talking about yeah, states? So so, so yeah, the, do the document here refers to things that, that happen, not, so, so there are states, um, this, the thing I have in front of me doesn't refer to them. Although let, let's, I, I can find something with that. Jana breakdown. <laughs> um, so for like, I, oh. when I, I've had, I've been in lots of the, if it's talking about the states, uh, I've been in lots of the, cause he asked for example personal examples. Um, I've been in many of those states at different times, but I wasn't working under the model, that, that model. So I wasn't calling them using that word. I wasn't thinking of it like that. They were just kind of happening to me when I was doing different uh, meditations and things. And I was jumping between different ones. And I just thought some of them were bliss states. Some of them were weird visionary states. Some of them were, um, you know, the, the most extreme ones I said earlier about the white light and disappearing. Um, I have no idea how, what, which genres they would all go into, but most of those things didn't really change me after some of them did. So there's more, it was more than just the state. It was like some development that happened and the bliss state came along with it. So my, my understanding of all this stuff is very messy and I would get the terminology wrong. And yeah, yeah. I, uh, would alternate between sounding like I don't know what I'm talking about and, uh, Sounding like I think I know all of it. Um, be, because I would just be, be saying it based on that, my own experience. And I wasn't yeah. contact, I wasn't communicating with other people who were doing those, that stuff. I I only read about this stuff after and started back dating, like uh, back with hindsight, I was saying, Oh, that's that what they were talking about there. Oh, those are those things I was having. And uh, I still go into these things. Sometimes they just happen by themselves. If I lie down in a certain position long enough, I just I'll go in a very specific position for me too weird to explain here if i'm within 10 minutes i'm away in some state and uh i was doing that for years i didn't even realize that it was that was a thing that they're meditating in order to create to achieve and they have names for it and there's hindrances and a lot it was just it was just happening to me um related to various other energetic stuff uh um i mean i'm critical about the chasing after the highs and stuff but there's nothing wrong with experiencing those things. They're, they're good for you, probably. They heal, they're healing. You know, if you're in a bliss state for a while, it cleans up some of your shit and uh, makes you feel better in your life and um, probably helps solve depression for some people. I don't know. I've uh, never been depressed. <laughs> I've been unhappy and angry yeah. many times, but I've never been like, depressed. depressed. <clears throat> but I don't know. Yeah, um, but I'd imagine being in bliss states regularly would get you out of that because you're doing something to your brain. So, and also yeah. it's light at the end of the tunnel because you're now like, I don't have to feel that way. I can feel this other way. Um, yeah. So in terms of like practical stuff for the genres um, or for bliss states, let's say, or, or alternative realities, um, some of them do get like psychedelic once you get into them. Mm. Uh, they're I, some of them are like ones that have are like, like DMT descriptions, you know, ex like exact, like with, without doing any of that stuff, the, if you wrote down the exact experience 
and compared it with experiences of people who are doing the like the experiments on DMT with injections and all that stuff. Same thing. So you don't need to take these things to get these experiences if anyone's doing that. Um, but that won't just happen by sitting down once, you know, like there's so many factors. I just, I, I don't know. I just like, I've, I've always been so a uh, uh, lone experimentalist of these things. I have no idea where it all fits together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least in Buddhism, um, teachers, at least in the Zen tradition, don't talk about levels because it sets up expectation and that's a problem because you're always thinking like, have I, have I reached uh, the third job yet? Um, like, yeah, I've got this and I've got that. And yeah, that's just a surefire way of not being in the third jhana. Um, but from what I can see here, and I probably should have researched this before because like you, I don't know much about it. I've never had much to do with uh, Theravada. Well, I'm guessing Munro does um, uh, Vipassana and, and no, the Burmese stuff, does. is it? Oh, okay. I don't, don't think he does. No, I think. Well, maybe Jhana's does other stuff too. I don't. I... Yeah, maybe. So, so yeah. Um, what what I do know is, yeah. So, so looking here, so, so in some ways, uh, Zen has um, uh, retained some of these. So we do. There are levels in Zen. People have written about it. But basically, yeah, from what I can see, you've got four jhanas, and in each one, you you lose, you know, the, the, some bad traits, and you pick up good ones. Then you get into the second level, um, and then it, it shows you, say, in the second level, you you achieve sit, sit, samadhi um, by the looks of things. Third jhana, uh, the bhikkhu uh, abides in equanimity, which is effective detachment, um, fully knowing. Uh, discerning awareness um and that's what the third jhana is um abiding in bodily pleasure one is equi uh, equanimous and mindful and then the fourth jhana um is getting rid of dukkha or pain uh, the desire for pleasure and that's i guess considered full enlightenment pretty much um and then within that, it seems like you got like other autistic levels and fucking stuff going on. It looks quite complicated. So if he, if he doesn't mind, I'll, I'll just go through the stages of concentration um, as I'm going to present them in, in the video thing that I'm putting up for paid subscribers. Because I think it's kind of the similar, similar thing, but I, I like the way Zen treats it more because it's more practical. Uh, so in terms of concentration, which and and states of mind which is what we're talking about here really is is it probably in the zen tradition they say there's seven state like stages i guess you could say levels so in stage one is when you just start um your your attention is fragmented uh darts off everywhere it's a load of shit you're a retard level two so you, you've started with your method. Usually it's counting breaths. Um, so your attention will often wander um, from your breath and your number. Um, a number of associated thoughts will intrude. Concerns on how to count the breath. If you're counting the breath properly, um, you're able to sustain the count only for short stretches. Um, however, it's starting to get better. You're starting to be able to concentrate a little bit more and be a little bit more comfortable uh, with your sitting. 
Then the third level they describe is having um, <clears throat> uninterrupted concentration. Um, you're able to count each number in perfect succession for at least 10 minutes, at least 10 minutes. That's, that's level three. That's unwavering uh, ability to concentrate. And in this state, what you tend to get is you tend to get, you know, wandering or I can't know, what would you say, like scattered thoughts or little impingements on your attention. Um, <clears throat> but these, these thoughts are generally not powerful enough anymore to uh, make you abandon your method. Um, so, so you're getting there basically. At the fourth level um, is basically uh, counting breaths without any interruption. Thoughts are scattered, but just uh, greatly reduced. Um, distractions, you know, your sensory distractions in the environment are absolutely no problem. Uh, wandering thoughts um, in the mind will, you'll get that feeling where the thought comes up and it just passes away and you've got absolutely nothing to do with it. You don't care about it. It just comes up and, and departs. Um, so that's the fourth level. So you're starting to get much better. Uh, fifth level is, is just counting breaths. So nothing really is going on other than that. <clears throat> there, there is just that awareness. Um, so, so there is a, an awareness of a self counting breaths. So you still have the subject object dichotomy or, or separation. And you, you're still aware that the breaths are being counted. And the number is being counted. The self is still aware of these things, but your concentration is is really good. It's very pure, I guess you could say. And uh, all uh, disturbances of body and environment have uh, disappeared by this point. Um, stage six is is when your mind is just so concentrated in the act of uh, meditation that uh, counting and the presence of breath and your body are completely forgotten. You just forget about them. And you're, you're in a state of samadhi, um, which is just complete absorption or, or a one-pointed mind. Um, so you, your breath vanishes, your body uh, vanishes, everything is in a single unity. Um, so I don't know if you've ever had the feeling in meditation, maybe you have Munro, maybe you have Kevin, where the body kind of disappears, you, you don't think it's, you don't, don't really, you're not aware of it being there anymore. Well, the state of uh, Samadhi is, is effectively what they're describing here for stage six. Uh, and, and also during this, the boundary between the internal and, and the external dissolves during this experience. Um, and I guess where you are on each of these levels, uh, you're not like, oh, I've now I'm at this one. Now I'm at this one. Like you're always going to be a mix of all these different things. It's more the emphasis, like which one are you experiencing the most? That's your level, basically, if you want to look at it this way. And then of course, seven, seven is where you get fully, fully cooked. This, so this is in the um, in the Zen tradition. This is what they think. So so body, mind, and environment have all genuinely disappeared. 
time and space are blowing apart. Sounds a bit like you know, a bit of nonsense to me, but any, any sense of existence or non-existence has, has vanished. Effectively, you, you have what they call no mind. And this is what in the Zen tradition they describe as being enlightened, I suppose. But as I said, you know, I think it's very rare that anyone's a pure type. I mean, even my Zen master who has like 40 years straight of being like an autistic meditator, like just meditates all the fucking time. But he told me that he's kind of like a, like a mix, like he's never just one thing. So he's, he's got gotten to the very high levels. He's had awakening experiences, like the higher ones that they're describing here. But then some days, you know, he might be fucking right down the bottom. So, so it's not that clear cut. And that, that's a problem I have with levels. The first thing is it, it makes you try to classify yourself all the time. So when you're in the act of meditation, you're always looking like, oh, I wonder which level I'm at. And then you'll get your little uh, fucking jhana reference guide out and you'll be sitting there trying to classify yourself. Like, I wonder if I'm, I wonder if I'm jhana three with the elements of jhana two. Like, first of all, you don't need that. You don't need it. Um, but the second problem I got with it is because when you're in the, when you're in meditation, you know, it's just a thing you've got to avoid at all costs. It's just another thought that comes up that's going to get in the way. So, so the more content you have where you're thinking about what's going on, the less chance you have for any, uh, you know, real, real progress. So, so that's my issue with the jhanas. Having said that, if I was to look at the model that I've just given you, not, not looking at jhanas, because I don't understand it well enough, um, and I'm not willing to put in the 15 years of fucking study it would take to understand it clearly, I would say that uh, typically for me these days during meditation, <clears throat> I, I can get into uh, short states of uh, a weak Samadhi, I guess, or, or very strong concentration where I do forget about my body and my breath, more or less. Um, that's probably as far as I've gotten. And I, I can't abide at that point of concentration for a very long time. Probably for me, most of the time, it's, it's at a level <clears throat> where. I, I'm very much engrossed in the counting. I, the thoughts are very rare that they come up um, and, and uh, they, they quickly pass away. I don't get attached to them. And, and my counting is very much full and engaging. I'm not cheating on the counting. So I actually uh, measured it this time around because I do like to take notes. I, I take a little diary uh, with me. And uh, this time around, I was able to go probably approximately three sitting periods of 45 minutes plus, plus a, a walking session, counting one to 10, more or less uninterrupted and, and pretty much perfectly. There were a few starts again, but, but this time around, that was <clears throat> probably the best I got to. So whatever jhana that is, <clears throat> I'm not totally sure. 
Um, but that that I like this way of looking at it because it just gives me something a bit more concrete to hold on to. Um, but then there were other times where I couldn't even get beyond two. So so it's all mixed up. It's all messed up. Um, so so I, I would just say to Munro, you've got to be a little bit careful of <clears throat> like systems and meditation that are going to give you levels. Because because in in reality, when you do it, uh, it's a load of shit. And, and you should probably forget about it. What, what I recommend to people is if they read about levels, okay, cool. Have a look at the level and then just fucking throw it away. Leave it in your subconscious. It doesn't matter. And just stick to your, stick to your, um, stick to your practice and your method because that is the most important thing. So the second question he had was, what is your experience with shunyata? Shunyata. I don't know uh, can, if you know. What can that I is, say something about? Can I say one thing about the levels? Yeah, first? sorry, I didn't um, need to move on that quickly. Yeah. The, uh, <clears throat> one thing I think is actually useful in the Vipassana maps with the stages of insight is that the levels, if that, if this is what we're talking about, is um, it's like they treat it like cycles where you cycle through them all. So like you're you're not. No, I don't think any person is fixed in the higher levels all the time. You know, you're talking about your teacher, you know, they have experiences, but there's some days they're just like normal human doing normal human stuff. I think that's true for everybody. I've seen I've seen various advanced meditation teachers talk about similar things. Um, if you were to stay in the, the higher state all the time, you'd just be like, you'd be those guys <laughs> sitting in their pods at the side of the road in India, staring in the space that need fed. Uh so I don't think that's I don't think that's feasible for most people because you're still a human being. But but it makes sense if you think of it as you're cycling through the different stages and maybe now and again you go into the higher stage and you come back out of it and you're just kind of living like that. So that's maybe a, another way to look at it as well. But um in general, most people are just gonna fixate on how to get to the next stage. We just can't help ourselves. Yeah. Uh, goal yeah, it becomes like missions. a video game. Yeah, um, totally. You know, it'd be maybe different for different people. Some people need something to a hook to hang on to, to keep them doing it, so they feel like they're getting somewhere. And other people can be more open-ended, and uh, you know, maybe there's a personality aspect of that. I don't know. Um, but uh, when you describe the the Mahdi of the dis the disappearance of what do you say the annihilation in space and time or whatever. Yeah. That, did, that <laughs> yes. is, but that is what yeah. happened to me for an instant. Yeah. So like I had the yeah, white, okay. everything went, uh, white light appeared. It was like, first of all, it seemed like it was higher than me. And then I just kind of evaporated into the white light. So it became the white light. I know this sounds really cheesy, but became the light. Me, the little me in here just disappeared into the light. And then as I was, I just remember the last moment I was trying to keep this light thing because it was amazing. And then I just disappeared and reappeared. So if that's what they mean by it, like I, wasn't there like i wasn't oh i've gone now there's none of that i just i reappeared and where the fuck was i just now uh yeah. which in real yeah. time normal time is just like an instant probably a second less than a second who knows maybe it was longer i don't know um but uh that from in terms of my exp empirical experience was the annihilation of space and time but i didn't experience it i just reflected back straight after oh i'd gone and reappeared yeah. so like after that the most i've got is like just quickly is like 45 minutes feels like five. I've had that, but I've never had like just disappeared. 
So you're lucky I've not had that. Continue. And then, so like I've had a few of those, like no, I had many of those actually, and um, I've had them like in dreams where I've just woken up in a dream and I was like, I've got, I was just re- I just appeared out. It's like you appear out of nowhere. Really weird. And then after you're totally refreshed and you feel good and stuff, it's like a sort of reset. Your brain kind of resets. Uh, in the beginning, they were big and drastic and the, the lights and all that kind of stuff. And then after that, it was just like, it was just like matter of fact and, and really like it was just, boding empirical sounding but pleasant after um most of them seem to happen when i'm sleeping now it's weird uh but i'm not doing a lot of formal meditation if i was sitting down doing formal hours of meditation it would probably happen there um so if that's what they're talking about uh i understand that i think uh but you couldn't possibly be in that state all the time you wouldn't exist literally you would have no exist you would have no experience so like you'd be Deep sleep and or dead. Uh, so, yeah. So I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, what was the what was the next question? What What is your what do you think shunyata sanyata is, which which is a, a Pali word for emptiness, voidness, um, which which I think I could be wrong. But but in uh, Theravada Buddhism, I think it means kind of like no self, I'm pretty sure, selflessness. But in Mahayana, at least that's what I'm familiar with, so people can correct me because I'm not sure, but it means uh, emptiness or uh, voidness. And yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a description, uh, I, I guess, of an experience that you can have. Um, where everything becomes empty, which is a, a point of much confusion amongst people because they, uh, they get confused about it. Yeah, I've heard of it so, mentioned uh, in two ways. I've heard them describing it in the way I, kind of similar to the way I was just talking about it, you know, like a disappearance. You know, I mean, that, 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 I think that's what nirvana means, extinguishing, isn't it? Extinguish. Yeah, blowing so like if flame, you. Yeah. That's what it was like, you know. There was the light, literally, like they'll have the light and then disappear, lay out and then reappear, uh, and then lots of weird shit. But still, it was like uh, that was like the. Uh, this is like a fundamentally different experience than all the energetic stuff and all the other stuff. It's just something else. Uh, anyway, so there's that, and uh, but I've also heard people talk about emptiness in terms of it's like thing is each. Sorry, you're cutting empty. out there, Kevin. Is, Just letting you know is, you're cutting out on a Okay, I've, I've also yeah. heard people say about emptiness as it's everything is empty of self. There's no like separate self. Everything is <laughs> so it's not like emptiness as in like a space of nothing. It's more um, there's no real there's no um, fixed self of anything. It's just all these things happening together uh, by themselves. Uh, so it's like empty of your sensations that you think of as you are empty because there's there's no self there and the sensations other things are just there's no objects there they're just of an appearance and it's empty it just disappears impermanently in a new appearance so i've heard it used in the two ways this is probably a translation issue i don't know um i really just don't know enough about this stuff i just i can map things that i've experienced to these things but i might get them wrong and, and sound like a moron i don't know yeah, I think my my own take on it, and I, I think 
there's there's a way to explain it and there's a way to try and uh, put across what I think the experience is. But we, we, just bringing it back to what we've been talking about. So, so we have the differentiation where we have the, the soup of raw data and we put it into things. We conceptualize it into things where they have the phenomena and objects have a thingness. And this is the way we always walk around. We always walk around saying, oh, there's a thing here, there's a thing there. But if you go beyond the thingness or you drop the thingness, then what do you got? You've just got bleh. <laughs> what, what I think emptiness refers to is everything without thingness. Everything without, uh, er, like it is the undifferentiated soup before thingness. So, so that, that's my explanation of emptiness. That's the way I would explain it. But the experience is something as well. <clears throat> so, so I've been trying, you know, I've been thinking for a long time because I'm sure I've had exper like experiences that, that I would call emptiness. And, and emptiness is kind of like, like everything, everything is something to us. But how do you know that everything is something if there's no other everything to compare the everything that we have to? Does that make <laughs> so, so if you, if we oh assume that, yeah, yeah. So we, we assume that <laughs> we assume that everything is, there is, there is a thing, there is meaning, there's everything going on, but how do we know what everything is if there's no other benchmark thing to compare this thing to? Then, then the thingness of everything just gets breaking down into nothing. It's got no, it's got nothing undergirding it. There's no ruler to measure it. It's just blur. It's, it's devoid. It's, it's void, literally, because there's no thing that you can say it's something compared to. And it's that, it's, it's that experience. So you can have an experience that feels like that. It's kind of like when I was a kid, I used to get this feeling all the time where everything would lose, like I'd go, whoa, like what, what is everything? Kind of, I don't know, maybe you've had that feeling before. Like often you just, it's very quick. You just have a very quick feeling where you're like everything, you just don't know what everything is. And I, I've had in meditation, similar experiences to that where everything just kind of became without thingness and that's what i would describe emptiness as emptiness is the lack of differentiation but a true lack of differentiation and in i think in that state um that that that's what they mean by buddhist emptiness um, of course, you know, I think there's different views on, on it intellectually, but yeah, that, that's what I believe it is. And, and I've, yeah, I think I've, oh, it's, you know, it's hard to say, but in when you're just sitting there counting and you're fully engrossed in a very deep form of uh concentration 
And that's, that's all there is. And you lose all concept and you lose feeling like you're just sitting there still. Then, you know, what, what is everything at that point? What is, what is the essence of everything? If, if, if there's no, if there's no problem to solve, what is there? There's, there's just blur. <laughs> so, so that, I know that may sound completely incomprehensible, but that's the best way I personally can explain it. I think that's what they mean by, by emptiness. And I think that's what the experience is. Some people might know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like you, you have this flash of just everything loses its uh, under, like it's undergirding meaning it's or something. And so you're just not sure what anything is. Have you had that before? Or am I just talking shit? Uh, you can't, like, it's so hard to describe what I mean. Like uh, trying to think of the best way. No, you've, you've made it very clear anyway. that Sunyata translated into Australian is blur. <laughs> yeah, blur. That's what I was so like. We have to yeah. go back to the sources and retranslate the words. So that's a <laughs> good do. start here today. We do. Um, Can you imagine yeah, that? No, I, I know what you mean because also part of the thing that is becoming the blur is now part of the blur as well is the, the ideas or your sense of yourself at the same time so it's not just other things it, it becomes undifferentiated and you're not released really, it's not seen now as separate from the rest of it and there's no fixed thingness including there's no fixed thing that's the self so that's where the no self thing is and then also the other external what appear to be external objects have no fixed thingness either uh, in experience and uh, even the material because, and this is this yeah. is what i mean so in that state itself there's still experience but there's nothing that tells you what experience is it's because there's nothing there's no other universe of experience to compare experience to so it just it's just what the fuck what it what is this how do i yeah, even well, know what anything is like, well do you it know makes what sense I mean? so it it's makes that sense because i think there's many people have noticed that um that words are all just at the end of the day, words and language, and it just comes down to metaphors at its basic level. They're explaining something in relation to it's like this other thing, you know, like words or metaphors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're never at the actual thing. It's always explained in terms of something else. Well, what we're talking about here is a level where there is no something else to explain it in terms of you just get to the, there's, it's like the emptiness. It's almost like the, uh, there's no, it's almost like the, there's no grounding underneath all these abstractions, yeah, you know, like you, or, there's or no, the, ma there's no the money system. It's the money system is not <laughs> yeah. backed. You think it's backed by this it's, thing. And then you think it's backed by gold. Then you go back and back and back. <laughs> and then you realize, holy shit, there's no gold here. Uh, so the emptiness is, yeah, is yeah. the lack of gold in the, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're just making shit up. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, but it yeah, somehow still works anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For now, for you know, now it, maybe the world will just disappear at the same time as the the money <laughs> system collapses. Who knows? Yeah. Well, if um, if Hoffman is right, then as soon as we look away, it all collapses. So, <laughs> go figure. Yeah, sorry, Donald. I just looked the way it's over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Non-local, non-local collapse. Yeah. So, there you go.
Bleh. My 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 brain is fried now. I'm like fucking what? I I hope what I said makes any sense because I'm like just trying to think like how do I how do you fucking say something like that? Um, but yeah. Anyway. Well, one sign of someone who hasn't done any of these practices and had these experiences or realizations or insights or whatever you want to call it is that they have a very clear answer of what these things are and they're very articulate mm, and have yeah. specific words they use and it's all structured very well. At yeah. the hyper far end, yes, I think people become clearer, but a lot of them decide to just not talk about it. Or yeah. they, you know, they like, they can't or they, you know. So by as scrambling around and fumbling to talk about it, at least it's for me anyway, when I hear other people do this, it demonstrates that they've, they've had something. Uh, yeah. It wasn't a thing. Um, they've had some type of experience and um, uh, this is what it's like. It's like you're, you're um, trying to grasp a mystery that will remain a mystery on some level. You're yeah, just trying to articulate, always. you're trying to break apart a whole experience into parts to, to, to communicate with another person. And then the only way for that to be a success is for it to go back to the whole again, which is beyond words. Um, so if we're getting, somehow getting back to the whole, then it's worth talking about. Uh, yeah. But if you just go off and get stuck in the words, which many people do, obviously, and we all do it to some level, and lo lost in the concepts, then um, it's not a success. Yeah, here's another way, just on emptiness, because I'm obsessed with it. But I agree with what you said. Um, yeah the more you know it's like the the old philosophy cliche the more you know the the more i know the less i know kind of thing like you know you, you just the, the more you get into this you know the, the less clear everything is in in terms of explaining things um i was talking about pain before and when you examine pain so so if you look at pain for us, it's like pain. Ow, that fucking hurts. It's pain. In, in meditation, if, if you examine pain, pain is a sensation. Sure, there appears to be something going on. And, and it has a specific character. But, but the more you look at it, it's like, what, what is it actually? What is underneath that what is the foundation of pain to tell me that the thing is painful and and in a way that there isn't anything like pain isn't anything it has no intrinsic essence and i think that emptiness is like that just with everything <laughs> is that is that an explanation does that make sense there's nothing well, about pain that gives it painness. Well, yeah, really. I mean, pain, pain yeah. is interesting even in a normal sense. So, like, to relate back to that, like, you, uh, the pain people feel about things, a lot of it is, like, imaginary. There's no, like, basis for it. You just, it's spinning things in your head. Sometimes it's real and associated with the place that you think it is. Sometimes it's just, it's not there. Uh, your mindset about the pain um you can make it worse or better uh sometimes it's very real and you can't get rid of it uh so there's this very kind of fuzzy emptiness just about normal pain it doesn't have a fixed yeah. self yeah. uh so in terms of the 
suffering or the unsatisfactoriness uh, and that level of, of pain that this from you know meditating. Uh, it shows how well. I mean, I understand how the Buddha, the Hindus, and all that just had fuck it. It's all a dream. It's all an illusion. It's not real. <laughs> totally. I mean, I see where I, yeah. that's one legitimate way of looking at it. It's not like it's not the the Western kind of thing, but it's it's perfectly. Uh, <laughs> it's a fine way of describing what is at the at the basic level describing experiences. Which a lot of yeah. these things start well, all of these real things start from, and then just everything uh, just gets lost. The history of it just gets lost in the in the concepts and stuff. But really, it's usually you can trace it back to real. They're just kind of words to describe experiences, um, yeah. <clears throat> or to to point at experiences and to distinguish different experiences. So you need different words for different experiences. So everyone knows that they're talking about the same thing. A group of guys who are doing experiments together come up with some techniques. They work. They share them. Years later, everybody's arguing about um, what all the concepts what, mean, and you know they have this higher level drama. What genre are you even in, man? <laughs> <laughs> Not advanced at all. But yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Like, yeah, it's kind of like you know in Scotland how you punch babies in the face um, as a pastime, and they don't know whether to cry or what. They kind of sit there and they're like, "The fuck," you know what I mean? Our babies like hurt themselves or whatever, and they they don't know how to react. So it's probably because you know they haven't quite figured out what pain is yet. You know what, exactly. you know what I mean? So so it's kind of like babies don't what feel is pain. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> They're too um, drunk. <laughs> I, I did qualify that it's like real pain that won't go away because obviously there's real there's a real level of thing. You know, I'm not like a, it's all imaginary in your mind, man. Um, however, it's, there's a very loose, with whatever is the real thing, uh, which by definition is kind of a fiction. Uh, if you, Like I have to invent the real thing because if you're separating the things that can be known and experiences and the phenomena from the, you know, the real thing, the thing in itself, uh, the truth, the objective reality, whatever, uh, you're kind of having to invent that with a word, you know, because the different you're defining it by the thing that you can't know. Uh, so in that sense, it's a fiction, if you know what I mean. Uh, but there's clearly something there that affects the um, the experiences, and you. Uh, but there's a very loose relationship between <laughs> between the stream of experiences and what they think is going on and, and whatever it is that's really going on because uh, you can just demonstrate that people are deluding themselves all the time. Um, yeah. Very weird things yeah. like things don't even need to be true in order for them to be useful and they work. They can be like clearly not true and contradictory. Ideas can be like this or um, just uh, like rules of thumb and things that don't exist, like uh, concepts that don't exist you can use to change things in reality or like a, you know the stream of sensations will change by using this thing that you know isn't real but it works anyway i mean what the fuck that tells you that there's some uh, there's not a clear relationship between experience and, and whatever the real thing going on is so it's bound to not make sense all this meditation and stuff it's bound to be weird it's bound yeah. to uh break things apart uh and then if you're the type of person who's try to control everything and grasp on and try to hustle to know everything 
has to have all organized, has to know in advance what it's going to be like before they do anything. You're going to find it very hard to do this to get anywhere in this stuff because you have to yeah. kind of add a, add a, an adventurous soul and just want to see what happens next and be open to some weird new thing happening. Yeah. And also be willing to count one to 10 for 10 hours a day for many days. That's yeah, uh, well, I mean, that just the method. A lot of people. It does. It does. But I will say this. It seems boring, but depending on what state of mind you're in, it can be pretty fucking weird as well. Particularly if you, you know, looking at everything as being empty, for example, then, you know, one to 10, you know, what, what is that even? What is that even? You know, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know, it, it's very interesting about meditation, isn't it? You think just, just how it gives you an appreciation how fucking strange everything is just how really really strange life is and it's really strange really fucking strange of course why, it is why is there anything in in, why is there something instead of nothing well, well there, there, isn't the really there isn't there isn't really something. yeah <laughs> so yeah, not really there is, but there's also yeah. not nothing it doesn't make sense and, and how like, do i uh, even know what anything is like compared yeah. to what so how do i even know what this is but I think I know what it is, but I don't I mean, really know what it is. Yeah. So, if so you want to bring it back yeah. to the kind of bio-individual philosophy, then all this thinking is really just a tool for biological survival on a planet, and it helps you survive. And there's no, and your brain is kind of kind of accidental in many ways, a uh, piece of history. So you kind of. Um, uh, shouldn't expect it to be able to get to the big truths about these things because it's not designed to know the truth about reality. Yeah. And, and what would the truth be anyway? What would it be anyway? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there, there are no answers, but, but you know, what, what there are are shifts in perception that can show you more of the totality of what it is to be you and i you know you hear all those stories of like zen masters when they when they do become enlightened like they laugh their ass off and they've always got a good sense of humor they're always taking the piss they're like nothing more in those stories and like a really serious student just looking for the answers all the time and you know the stories just sitting there just absolutely taking the mickey out of them the whole time and putting them putting them in these ridiculous states of mind and then just you know just going bang like that and they just fucking make them wake up uh it's good to have a good sense of humor about all this because it is funny like when you do have realizations or or you think about how everything's empty and how ridiculous everything is then it's quite funny you should laugh at it um yeah, a lot of a lot of people that I've done retreats with, they're very serious. So they walk around and they've got that furrowed brow that you were talking about, Kevin, which which indicates to me that they know fuck all so far, having a furrowed brow, because all their energy's bound up, you know, where they think they are. But but uh, you know, you got you got to you got to take life lightly, particularly when you pursue these things just don't take it all too seriously it's, you know it's not meant to make life like this big fucking 
torture session of trying to find answers. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it sounds like life advice. Like I've slipped into some life advice segment. Stay safe out there, people. But no, um, you, you know what I mean? Like just, just fucking uh, take it easy and shit. Just don't fucking get all fucked up over this. And, and just remember to go and just live a bit. Don't worry about fucking jhanas. Just practice. That's all you got to do. And if you stick to the method and practice, don't get too too screwed up about it. Then maybe you too will see how empty everything is. That would be my 